The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So um, I asked Andrea what I should talk about this evening, and oh, that's fine to start. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, and I, I believe her response was something like, why don't you talk about whatever is up for you, which is um, usually the common response to that question. And uh, in the last few days, what's been up for me is the topic of equanimity. I'm preparing to uh, co-lead a day-long in Berkeley on equanimity with James Barras. And so we've been in some conversation about it. What, what is equanimity? How do you teach equanimity? Um, how has it shown up in our own personal lives? What do the teachings have to say about it? And so it has uh, really been showing up in my mind, really noticing just in my day-to-day, wow, I'm really experiencing equanimity. Or there is no equanimity in this moment whatsoever. I can't find it anywhere. And so it's just been really, really present with me. And I want to explore it with you and share a little bit about what I've been learning about it and uh, just what I've known from experience as well. So one of the things to know about equanimity in this practice, in the Buddhist practice, specifically in the Theravadan uh, tradition, which this is, this is what this is, is that the Buddha talked a lot about equanimity. And if you're familiar with the teachings of the Buddha, you might be familiar with the way he taught, which was often uh, in lists. And so there's a lot of lists in this tradition. And among those lists, you can find equanimity as a uh, mental factor or uh, a state of mind, a state of being that is worthwhile cultivating, worthwhile exploring. And so you'll find it in lists uh, like the four Brahma-viharas, and uh, the seven factors, the ten paramis. And interestingly enough, it's also at the end of all these lists. And I couldn't... I, I, the, what I take from that, personally, when I see that, is that uh, it makes me think that equanimity is something that gets well-developed as we go through this practice. It's something that we cultivate and that there are many aspects of this practice that help cultivate this state of equanimity. So equanimity, very very important piece to this practice and what we're actually doing here. I was trying to find a nice definition of equanimity um, and, and words that come up to my mind without looking it up are words like balance or centeredness, um, even, uh, even mind, having an even mind. The word groundedness, I don't know if that is exactly equanimity, but I think it's a trait of equanimity, really feeling grounded, really feeling here. On, uh, on a, I did find a um, nice description of it. Uh, 
uh, I'm forgetting the name, Access to Insight, which is a wonderful website if you've never been on it and worthwhile checking out. So this is from Access to Insight. It says, Equanimity is perfect, unshakable, balance of mind, rooted in insight. But in its perfection, an unshakable nature, equanimity is not dull, heartless, and frigid. Its perfection is not due to an emotional emptiness, but to a fullness of understanding, to its being complete in itself. Its unshakable nature is not the immovable, uh, immovability of a dead, cold stone, but the manifestation of the highest strength. So this is equanimity. So you get this sense of this inner balance, this inner strength that is cultivated or maybe even just available. The Buddha used uh, the example of water often when he talked about different mental states. And uh, in one of his explanations, he uses this beautiful depiction of this great body of water. So you can imagine the Pacific Ocean for this example. And he talks about uh, this great body of water, imagining the top of this body of water with waves and uh, maybe ship traffic, weather, a lot going on. And that this often, to me, is, is an explanation of our untrained mind, our unbalanced mind, our mind without this quality of equanimity. We get easily pushed around uh, by the waves in our mind or the weather in our mind. And so he talks about cultivating this practice so that your mind is like the midmost depth of this great body of water. The midmost depth. So you can imagine floating down below the surface of the water, below all that is um, affecting the mind in this way, pushing it around to this midmost depth where there's stillness, quiet. There might still be this current there, but there's something soothing about it. And so he says... Let the practitioner be still, be motionless, and nowhere should one's mind swell. So nowhere in this midmost depth can waves swell. And so for me, this is like equanimity. So if I was to paint a picture of equanimity, it would be something like that, this midmost depth. I, in the last few years, have taken up scuba diving, and I love, I love it. I love being in the water. It's hard to get me out of it. <laughs> and one of the things that you learn as a new uh, diver is that when you jump into the water uh, and you go down, at some point you have to equalize your and balance the amount of air that is in your flotation device so that you're not sinking and you're not floating to the top. So if you push in too much air from your tank into your vest, you'll go straight up to the top. 
And if you take out too much, you sink very quickly to the bottom. And so what you're trying to do is get somewhere in between, somewhere in that midmost depth. But as a beginner, this is really hard. And I know for myself, I wasn't very skilled at it. And the people that I was learning with, none of us were that skilled at it. So we're going up and we're going down and we're going up and going down and all of us kind of flailing around and trying to get figure this out. And then after a while, it becomes a little bit more natural. We, we start to figure out, you know, if I just hit it, the button a few times to let that air in, that's all I need to, uh, to balance out or just let out just a little bit and then I can become more balanced. And this is how I think it, it is for us in the practice of equanimity and finding that place of balance in our lives. When we aren't used to bringing attention to even the possibility of balance, we do a lot of up and down, up and down. We're pushed around quite a bit by the contrasts that we experience in life, such as uh, gain and loss. And these are uh, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, uh, fame and disgrace. All this up and down, up and down of our experience. And as we practice, as we cultivate this equanimity, that contrast that we find in our life, it doesn't push us around so much anymore because we see it, we know it, and we know what to do with it. We're a little bit more comfortable with it. It's familiar. It doesn't have the power that it used to have. And so we can see it in this way where we are... We're not ignoring it, these ups and downs of life. But somehow we're able to stay still in that midmost depth, stay balanced with all of the currents and weather going on above us and the hard floor below us. And we're able to stay stay balanced in between In the Pali language, which is the language uh, when the teachings of the Buddha were finally um, written down, it was written down in Pali. And in the Pali language, equanimity is, uh, often comes from the word upekka. And this is the word we're most familiar with when we think of equanimity. Upekka. Uh, and upekka literally translates to to look over, to look over. And what this is, is uh, I think an, an observation of what comes out of or is cultivated out of our practice of observation, this, this ability to look over. So the, our practice of mindfulness uh, just seeing things how they are, really being able to know this is what's happening, and doing that w- from a place of balance and equanimity. It actually calls for this degree of equanimity to be able to see this is what's happening without getting caught by it. So just a- in this mindfulness practice alone, we'll f- we find that we are cultivating equanimity. I know for myself, 
just through the years of practice, I've noticed certain things, certain tendencies that I used to have that don't grab me anymore. An example of that uh, is being late. (laughs) That used to drive me nuts. (laughs) If I knew I was on my way somewhere and I hit traffic or I left a little too late uh, from my home, and knowing that I wasn't going to get there in time would produce this incredible anxiety, this incredible um, anxiety and just friction with how things are. Not able to accept that I'm going to be late. And and all that comes with that, what are they going to think about me, me being late? They're going to think I'm such a flake or it's going to be really embarrassing. This is really uncomfortable. And so there I am sitting in traffic, and there's nothing I can do. Me being worried about it or anxious about it doesn't make the car go any further. But this was just my habit of mind. Being late equaled going through this anxiety until I got there. And now I try to be on time, and I often am, but every now and then I'm running late. And now I can see it. I can actually see the tendency come up for anxiety And it's almost like an option. It comes up and says, should we get anxious? And I say, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I'll get there when I get there. This is just what's happening right now. I'll get there when I get there. Now, this is a simple and kind of silly example, but what a huge difference in my peace of mind, simply with that amount of equanimity over that circumstance. That's pretty huge. And so you can imagine how that builds into other circumstances uh, in life. And simply, not because I was trying to develop that state of mind of equanimity through practice necessarily, but simply from the power of observing, this is what's happening. This is what's happening right now. This is my tendency. When I get anxious, it creates a dukkha. It creates that suffering, that friction with life, coming up against how things are. And knowing that suddenly I have a choice. Do I want to get anxious? No, I don't need to get anxious. That's not going to be helpful. That's just not helpful. This is just, how it, this is just what's happening. I'll get there when I get there. Another word that I was not familiar with but learned in researching about equanimity and and reading quite a bit about it, Um, and actually this comes from a paper that Gil Fronsdale wrote. And he says that the word in Pali, tatra, tatra maja tata, tatra maja tata, is also often translated into English as equanimity. And the direct translation of this word is to stand in the middle of it all. Isn't that great? I've never heard that. To stand in the middle of it all. That's equanimity. So no matter what's going on, to be able to stand in the middle of it all. I think that this particular word, although I don't, I've never seen it used in relationship with the Brahma Viharas, uh, which is the the divine abodes of the heart, the divine abodes, and the last one being equanimity. 
this word, this definition of uh, standing in the middle of it all, I think it speaks very much to the heart practice of equanimity. In order to stay open and connected with all that life offers, whether it's the ups or the downs or somewhere in between, to be able to actually meet it and to meet it with an open heart. Uh, This takes incredible equanimity. This takes courage. I learned recently also that the word courage, uh, the, the root of it, cur, means heart. So true courage coming from the heart. And so really being able to face what is in front of us with this um, understanding maybe of the larger picture or understanding that this is how it is or this is part of life. Life has its ups and life has its downs or this is just what's happening right now. Can I feel some, so- some sense of balance in this struggle. Now, of course, equanimity, uh, I think oftentimes we think of equanimity as being difficult when we're going through something that's difficult. How do we be equanimous when things are really, really hard? But, and I was thinking about this on the way over here, and I actually think it's just as hard to be equanimous in this day and age when things are going really well. So if you think about it, Oftentimes, when things are just fine, one of the tendencies of the mind is to start getting busy. (laughs) It gets busy worrying about the possibility of things. Um, It gets just busy, just a lot of busyness. Um, What should I do next? Okay, I've got this moment. What should I do with this? There's, there's not a whole lot of room for equanimity with that type of busy, jumpy mind that I think sometimes comes with things just being just fine. Catherine Ingram, who's a teacher and, and author, has a great line. Uh, she says that m- most of the time, right now, in the moment, everything is just fine. Most of the time, everything is just fine. But do we, do we actually see that? Do we actually tune into that? Are we actually equanimous? If that, if that statement is true, that most of the time everything is just fine, do we actually feel that equanimity in those moments when everything is just fine? Or do we have a lot of other mental exercise and emotion going on that resembles more of the top of that great body of water all of those waves and surf and boat traffic and weather and whatnot, even though in this moment everything is just fine. Does that make sense? So an example maybe, uh, I noticed the other day I was sitting outside and it's been so beautiful lately, and so sitting out in the sun and everything being just fine. And then my mind started going, oh, I really need to get back to that email. That person emailed me two days ago, and I totally forgot, and I haven't emailed them. I hope they don't think that I just completely blew them off and that I'm you know, inconsiderate. And, 
you know, tomorrow is, uh, I teach in the schools, tomorrow I need to bring the snacks for the kids. What, what should I bring? Oh, do I have time? I don't think I'm going to have time. Maybe I should call uh, my colleague and see if they, they, he can pick it up. No, maybe I can just do it. I think I did that last week. I mean, it was really amazing. My mind just started going, 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 and there I was. Everything was fine. I was just sitting there, not actually enjoying the sun, but the possibility of just sitting there and enjoying the sun was an option, but that's not what my mind did. It didn't go to a place of balance and equanimity and went into a lot of worry and planning and what if, what if. And I think that this is not an uncommon experience. I think this is often what we end up experiencing. And we live in a culture that really supports that, you know, that discontent. What do I need to do next? What can I get next? What is everybody thinking of me? You know, kind of along those lines. And so finding that place of equanimity and balance, even when things are going really well, it doesn't mean that we're actually experiencing it. So I find that really interesting and really speaks to the importance of this practice, how much we really do need it. There's this beautiful statue uh, in the Forest Refuge, which is connected to Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, which is a large retreat center similar to Spirit Rock and actually is very much connected to Spirit Rock. And I sit there quite often. That's my main retreat place. And this statue is of Kuan Yin. And it reminds me so much. It's what I bring to mind when I am going through the difficult stuff. And equanimity seems like the furthest possibility that there is. And the statue is very small and, and one that would be easily missed if you were walking into the hall. But it's of her standing on these cliffs with this water, uh, these waves coming around her. And you can tell that she's standing in this great wind, maybe a storm, uh, because her clothes are being blown behind her. And she has this expression that speaks to that unmovability, that place of uh, groundedness, of calm, of balance, of really being centered, not of turning away from the storm, not fighting against it either, but actually standing right in it, being with it from a place of strength. And to me, it depicts this this possibility of equanimity in the face of our biggest struggles, our largest storms that go through. And it's been a, very inspirational to me. I know that you know, sometimes on retreat, even though we're, it's in a place that everything really is just fine, if you've sat retreat, uh, they're pretty cush. <laughs> you're fed well, you, you get a room, a bed, and you're in nature, great dharma, good talks, wonderful teachers, you have interviews, all of this stuff. But it's amazing the turbulence that one can go through uh, just in our own mind and and in our body on a long retreat. It doesn't always go that way for everybody, but, you know, stuff comes up. And so when that would come up for me, 
seeing that statue, which is maybe rightly placed right before you enter the hall, uh, it always inspires me and gives me a little bit of courage to face whatever it is that's going to visit me as I go in there and sit on that cushion. And I think what's wonderful about it is there is this little, there is a Kuan Yin within each of us, this strength. Uh, there are refuges that the Buddha talks about, the triple jewel, uh, Dharma, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. But also he often talks about finding the truth within ourselves. And this practice often relies on our own inner strength, finding that inner Kuan Yin, that balance, that possibility for equanimity. And we experience that, I think, in this practice often, facing the things that we think, there is no way I'm going to get through this. And then we do. Or if they don't ring that bell, my leg's going to fall off. I am not going to get through this. But then we do. And so we start to learn through this practice our capacity. And from that place of really seeing our own inner strength, our capacity, I think that too builds this possibility for equanimity to be faced with these large difficulties and struggles of life and still somehow face it with this uprightness, open heart, and balance, this equanimity. But how do, so how do we develop it? How do we, how do we uh, bring more equanimity into our practice and into our life? And there are equanimity practices in the Brahma Vihara, but I wanted to focus on other things as well. Um, when I was reflecting on it, and I did mention this already, one of the main things that I find is choosing equanimity. That through this practice, if we can be mindful of our mind state, mindful of what's happening in the moment, because of that mindfulness, that observation, we suddenly have an option. Do I really want to believe all of this, the drama, the drama of Kate, as I call it, my drama? Do I need to buy into the drama of Kate or maybe I can find something more balancing. Maybe there's a different possibility here. Maybe I don't need to be pushed around by this particular thought or by this overwhelming emotion or this circumstance that I'm finding myself in. So actually, knowing the power of choice, choosing equanimity, and doing that over and over and over again having that be a practice. In a way, it's choosing a different perspective. I mean, certainly we can find ourselves uh, in circumstances where, where freaking out might be completely acceptable. And sometimes we might find that as acceptable as we might see it in our mind, it's so disruptive to our inner well-being and so disruptive to possibly the harmony that we wish to have with the people around us 
and the harmony that we wish to cultivate in our life. And so really starting to look at our perspective on what is actually going on right now. And just from that observation or just from that question, sometimes naturally I find this possibility of equanimity arises. So choosing equanimity. Practicing mindfulness. This practice, like I said, it really cultivates equanimity. We're asked to be with, pay attention to what's happening right now. And that can mean anything. Mindfulness doesn't care if the experience is pleasant or unpleasant. It doesn't care. And so all we're asked to do is simply know that this is what's happening right now. And simply by doing that, you can see the connection with equanimity, being equanimous. This is what's happening right now. The other thing about this practice is it's, acting, it's asking us to face what's happening right now, which sometimes is really, really difficult. And this practice is, a, a, uh, is one that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of heart to be able to come back over and over again and really face what is happening right now, especially in those difficult times. But as we do that, and we face this is what's happening and make contact with it. This is also cultivating that ability to be equanimous, that ability to have equanimity. I think sometimes equanimity, we have this idea that it means uh, it's something similar to uh, feeling like whatever. You know, sometimes we have that response to what's happening in our experience whatever, I don't care. It's fine. And you can see just in that tone that we can sometimes take, there's this separation between what's actually happening and our presence with it. Whatever. I don't even, I don't even want to deal with this. I don't care. Whatever. That's not equanimity. Equanimity is really coming into contact with it. It's a heart practice. And so with mindfulness, it's the same thing. Coming into contact with whatever is happening and knowing it for what it is. And so you can see the two go together and cultivate each other. Sila. Sila, which uh, can be translated into to, uh, virtue or ethical actions. So in the Eightfold Path, That would include wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. The way we behave, the way that we are in the world, has an effect on our equanimity. We experience this easily, I think. It doesn't take much to notice that when we've behaved in a way that's not in accordance to... uh, sila, to our virtuous or ethical conduct, it really stirs us up. It stirs up our mind. It can have effects on our body. And it has effects on the people who we've interacted with. It has a ripple effect that goes out. And so to sustain that equanimity is very difficult, if not impossible, 
when we're not acting in accordance with sila, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. So it's something to keep in mind as you go out and start to look at the way that your actions and speech affect your balance, your internal balance. Are you finding that the, the effect of what you've been doing uh, stirs up the mind? Does it give you anxiety? Does it make you go into worry? Is it causing a difficult relationship with someone you care about or maybe just someone you know? Very hard to sustain a level of equanimity when we are um, stirring up the waters ourselves with our with our actions and speech. So paying attention to the relationship with sila and our equanimity, bringing mindfulness to that. This often will help with that choosing piece. More likely to choose equanimity when we start to see. Uh, and choose uh, sila when we start to see that cause and effect reaction. Because it doesn't feel good. We're so driven by what feels good. It doesn't feel good. And so once we start to bring attention to that, it's quite simple. Another practice is simply reminding ourselves that things are as they are. So much of the time, we spend a lot of mental and physical en- energy trying to make things other than they are. Uh, there the, uh, can often be this deep unsatisfactoriness with how things are. This is dukkha. This is the definition of dukkha. That, that friction with life, coming up against it. If only it would be, if only I could make it, if only that person, if only I. And so reminding ourselves, when we catch ourselves in that moment with that story, that perception, if only it could be different, if it could be a different way than it is right now. Reminding ourselves, wait a second, things are as they are. This is what's happening right now. Things are as they are. Letting that be just one of your mantras during your day. Things are as they are. It doesn't mean that you have to be passive in a pushover. I think sometimes that also is misunderstood about equanimity. As if to be equanimous means that you have to be okay with everything that's going on around you. That's just not wise. Discernment is really important. And so if you see something that's not right, some... uh, injustice that's happening, approaching it from a place of balance and equanimity and making your decisions, speaking from a place of wisdom and compassion, acting from a place of wisdom and compassion, this can still allow for that possibility of equanimity. So it doesn't mean that you're a pushover. But also sometimes the wise thing might just be reminding yourself that things are as they are. I don't have full control here. So, I'd like to stop there, and I'd like us to uh, have a bit of a conversation about it. And we end at nine, huh? 
Good. What I'd like you to do is actually turn to three or four people near you. And I'd like you to each take a moment to discuss what does equanimity feel like? Or another way to to ask this question, what informs you that you are in a place of equanimity? How do you know? What is the flavor of it? What's happening in the mind? What's happening in the body? What do your actions and speech look like when you are embodying equanimity? And we'll just take uh, maybe five minutes for that. So uh, you don't have to say a whole lot, and it doesn't even have to be profound. And I have no idea is a perfectly fine response if you're not sure. But I'd like you to hear each other. And I think, too, it'll allow you to explore and maybe even feel that sense of equanimity in the mind and body just by bringing it into... uh, into language and explanation. So if you wouldn't mind just turning to three or four people nearest you, and um, I'll ring the bell at halfway so that you know, and then I'll let you know again when it's done. So we have a few minutes before we close. I'd like to know if there's any comments, anything you'd like to share that came up in your group uh, that you think might be interesting for others to hear, or if you have any questions about equanimity or practice. And I believe uh, we'll pass the mic around. Yeah. So sometimes... um, Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by emotion. Something, something happens, and it's very upsetting. And, and I get mindfulness, and I'm like, wow, I'm really upset now. And, uh-huh. and I don't feel like I have to act in accordance to the emotion, but I also notice that I can't think. Right? There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of feeling, and there's really not much space around the feeling. And... Mm-hmm. I'll think things like, well, I, I should take a break right now or I shouldn't make a decision right now or do a thing yeah. right now. But I feel also paralyzed mm-hmm. by that. And, I, and there's some anxiety that comes with that. You know, oh, I'm upset and here's this critical moment in my life and I, I can't do anything. And I just wonder what equanimity in that scenario mm-hmm. looks like. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, perhaps it it looks like really knowing what's there. And what comes to mind, actually, as you're talking is not necessarily equanimity practice, although I think equanimity practice is connected with this, but more of a compassion practice. And so maybe in those moments uh, where it's just completely overwhelming and paralyzing, taking your hand, putting it to your heart, uh, and just breathing and being with it. This is really hard right now. This is really hard right now. Really connecting with it. This is really hard. And this struggle, this this struggle is a part of life. Struggle is a part of life. And I'm okay, or it's okay. 
or whatever that really helps you stay connected uh, and yet perhaps allows for more space for that emotion to run its course. Uh, emotions are a funny thing. I think that they, they can sometimes just have such a life of their own. And especially when they're uncomfortable, we, we really just want to get rid of it. What do I need to do to make this stop, right? But of course, when we fight against it, uh, sometimes what happens is we just agitate it more. And so we can get to that place of just feeling paralyzed by it. I don't know what to do. And so coming to a place of compassion for it, oh, this is really hard. Allowing the heart to open and expand a little bit, giving a little bit more space to it, allowing it to be as big as it needs to be sometimes, if that's possible. Sometimes that's not possible, and we just do the best that we can. Um, So I don't know if that directly answers your question about equanimity, but it might be that there might need to be an extra step in there uh, before equanimity is really felt. Perhaps compassion is that extra step. Um, Does that sound possible? Yeah, it does. Great. Yes, have that back. Hi, my name is Eric, and um, equanimity is not apathy or indifference. Equanimity comes from the wisdom of the sameness of all phenomena. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Anything else? Okay. Oh. Yeah. Um, we. Yeah. Do you mind? <laughs> I know. That's okay. I want to sing too. Um, is it working? I can't hear myself. Okay. I was just like just a question. A question. So you're walking through um, a beautiful wood. What? How should you? Exp- not how should you, but should you? Ex- well, I'll phrase it in the way I, as I as I'm going to. Should you walk through it with equanimity or with, as a lot of people often do, with, you know, intoxication? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, and this, this is a question that came up. Uh-huh. I don't know. If intoxication it, I, meaning just really the, bringing an, it in and an, feeling well, it. In, the, the, uh-huh. the fresh air, the, the, yeah. the, the, the green. Yeah. I mean, I think of equanimity as, as being somewhat passive, somewhat removed being an observer of things uh-huh. and yet that's also a wonderful feeling to just give into the pleasure of something too yeah. and i'm just wondering i'm wondering about that relationship to equanimity yeah does pleasure can you feel that and be open to it and still be equanimous mm-hmm. um yes i i think so i think that that quote that i read at the very beginning speaks to that really beautifully um, equanimity is not dull or heartless or frigid. Its perfection is not due to an emotional emptiness, but to a fullness of understanding. So really seeing the fullness of what life has to offer, which is, uh, in the Tibetan tradition, 
the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And so holding both. Now, of course, with the pleasure, um, we can, there's a line or there's, there's a point where suddenly it is rocking us off of our equanimity because we've gone into greed, right? So we've gone into uh, wanting more of it or wanting it to stay the same or something like that, where the opposite might be if we're experiencing a lot of difficulty, um, we can easily slip into aversion to it. I don't want this. Get rid of it. Change it. So that equanimity, it's, it is somewhere in between, and we, can, we just are mindful of when, when does it stop being equanimous? When do I start feeling that pull in one direction or the other? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So we'll close with the dedication of merit and a little bit of metta. And the dedication of merit is just a time to acknowledge what we're doing here. That this is a really wholesome action, coming here, practicing, being in sangha, listening to dharma, and exploring our understanding of truth. This is very wholesome, and it has ripple effects. It affects not only ourselves, but the people in our lives. And then it affects in way it has effects in ways that we may not even understand. Those ripple effects might go out, out, out into our world. And so as we practice, we start to realize that this practice is not just for us, but that it's for all beings everywhere. And so with that in mind, wishing all beings, uh, may they all be happy and content May they all be healthy in their mind and in their body. May they all find that place of equanimity and know it well and be held in that place of balance and that midmost depth. Thank you very much for your attention and presence.